You know, I think the message we heard today would cure all of, a, of America and any nation throughout the world. I mean, the Spirit of God, if we will just celebrate His goodness and all that He's done. And really, that's what the, the day is about. If you'd bring those lights down, I want to show you a couple of things. First of all, let me show you what went on in Denton yesterday. We have for years and years and years celebrate, celebrated the lighting of the tree and the lighting festival in Denton on the square. And we had so many Jesuses. And Mary and Joseph's. It was just awesome. You see Lydia and Simon and you see uh, Daniel and his wife there, Sabina. You see uh, McGunny and you see Thais. McGunny and Thais actually look like Jesus and Mary. Let's thank God for Denton, Texas. I See... That's what celebration does. I don't always thank God for Denton, Texas. And it will stir up thankfulness within you if you're celebrating. And it's just awesome. One of the things about this month that is so important is you've got to hit the mark. It's really what the month's about. It's almost like if you get off target this month, you're going to be skewed as you move forward into the rest of this season until you get to Passover. So the first thing I want to do is remind us, we have, of course, two of my favorite uh, special people in my life, Daniel and Amber Pierce. Let's thank God for them. Couldn't have a better... Couldn't have a better couple to come and minister. But Daniel is a skilled marksman. And I want us to reshow the video he made on hitting the mark before he comes and ministers to us. Let's show that video. I got into archery when I was 15 years old. I remember there was a sports store on the square in downtown Denton. The old man that ran the place would sit and talk to me for hours and I would ask different questions and he would answer me and teach me everything that he knew about the sport and different sports. He just really took a lot of time with me and uh, had a lot of patience and that's something that I found you know, growing up with people that were into archery was uh, that they were always really patient and took the time to really explain things. There was an archery club in downtown Denton. My parents used to take me a couple times a week and dropped me off for about an hour at a time and I was the youngest member of the club. I think everybody else was in their 50s and I was a teenager but again they really took the time to teach me and uh, that's something that meant a lot to me. What I remember was how passionate that they were about the sport and the disciplines that it had to offer. So uh, that really taught me a lot of character growing up and I think that's one of the more valuable things in archery is uh, the character that you can pick up through uh, learning it. Learning to hit the mark in archery is a process that sometimes takes years and it takes a lot of patience, but uh, developing those motor skills and that patience that it requires uh, really teaches us a lot about life. My father, Chuck Pierce, actually learned archery at Texas A&M when he went to school there, and he shot with gold medalist John Williams, who won uh, in 1972 in the Olympics. So uh, I had a foundation for that, you know, even in our home. My dad used to teach me a little bit about archery as a kid, and then, you know, as I grew older, I perfected a lot of those skills and uh, spent a lot of time practicing. I've always found that God uses every discipline that he sets our hands to in our journey in life. And uh, in traditional archery, there are many elements that have to work together for an archer to ultimately hit his mark. Even in the construction of the arrows and the bow itself, everything must be in proper alignment. The arrow must be straight and the tensions and the weights finely tuned for the arrow to stabilize in flight. Just as the equipment must be tuned, the archer also must learn to bring his mind and his body and his will into alignment with the target. When you shoot, nothing else matters other than the target and hitting the mark. Usually if an experienced archer misses his mark, it's because his focus and alignment was off somewhere, or he lost confidence that he would hit the mark just before releasing the arrow. Archery is all about believing that you can hit the mark that is set before you. 
You know, one of the most interesting things about archery is that you can actually shoot with your eyes closed and hit the target if your body is fully aligned and you're fully committed in the belief that you'll hit the mark. Life's also like that. We have to allow God to bring us into a place where our entire being comes into agreement with the vision that He sets in front of us, even when we can't see it. We must develop our ability to hit the mark in a place of completion in our faith. Now, I want to show you one picture before I introduce Daniel. Let's show that picture. Now, you have to understand the first people of these, this land knew how to hit the mark. And they knew how to supply. Part of your supply line is learning to hit the mark. This was the first time, I believe, you have ever shot a deer with an arrow in it. Let's thank God that he will supply if we hit the mark. Welcome Daniel Pierce. Let's say a few more words about uh, hitting the mark as they just showed you that picture. Uh, I've been shooting archery since I was 15 years old and um, really good at it. I mean I can stand on a range and hit what I'm shooting at all day long. But uh, there's a big, big difference between shooting on a range and hunting in archery. And uh, if you're a um, gun hunter and you try to transition into bow hunting, there are a lot of things that you have to learn in order to be able to, to take an animal or harvest an animal with a bow. And uh, one of those things is that deer will jump the string which means if you aim right in the center of their shoulder like you would with a rifle, in order to load their muscles, they duck right before they jump and run off. So when they hear that arrow coming, they'll go just like this, and the arrow will go right over their back, and they'll run off. It took me six years to break that mentality of aiming at a certain point and learn to aim below, not where the deer was, but where the deer would be when the arrow got to them. Now, if the Lord gives you a new tool to hit the mark in this season... He's going to give you a new skill and a new ability to be able to hit your mark that he's called you to, right? So you aim where that target's going to be when the arrow gets to it. And once you break an old pattern, you break an old mindset, and you learn to aim the way that the Lord told you to aim, even though your mind and your body don't agree with it, you'll begin to hit the mark. Lord, we just decree that we'll begin to hit a new mark in this season. That you've placed in our hands, Lord, a new skill and a new ability to hit the mark that you've set before us, Lord. That you know where that mark lies, even when our mind and our eyes don't know where it is, Lord. That when we begin to fire, we're going to hit the mark in this season. Lord, we're going to take the harvest that you've set before us this season. We're going to win the battles that you've set before us in this season. Amen? Well, it got real quiet in here. Just give the Lord a shout. Lord, we thank you for your presence in this room today. We just say that we're going to ascend, Lord, in battle. We're going to ascend in wisdom today. That you have a new word for us, Father, in Jesus' name. Now, Amber and I, uh, we just moved out to our place in Oklahoma that's a huge, huge completion in our life. Um, we started building about two years ago, and it took a very long time uh, for the construction to be done out there. And uh, the Lord had an appointed time for that. And now as we look back at it, um, we can see how he placed each step. And when I walk through our house, um, when you buy a new house and you just walk, you walk into a pre-existing house, you see a house. But when I walk through our house that we've spent the last two years building, everywhere I look, I remember something. I remember when that was just a frame. I remember when there were no stones right here. I remember changing the tile on that spot three times. <laughs> I remember how long it took to get somebody out here to lay a gas pipe or put an uh, electric wire in or a or water pipe. So it's full of a memory. And a lot of times when we come through something to the other side... We can't see it till we get through the other side and we look back at it and all of a sudden everything becomes clear. And every completion that the Lord has called us to is like that. And Amber and I have walked through many seasons uh, between Israel, uh, between the Lord bringing us back here, having us take up this place in Oklahoma and showing us each step of the way what needed to be done to get us onto that land, to get us through the gate onto that land where he wanted us. And... It's like we stepped out from under a weight. Like when we stepped foot on that land for the first time, 
uh, the Lord had us renew our covenant there. We had our vow renewal right after we moved in. And if you had seen or been a part of, and some of you were, uh, of all of the stress and things that had to happen over that couple weeks, both to move us into the house and prepare to have an event with 300 people out there, that was quite a project. It wasn't something we had time to stop and really think about right then in the moment. But now, a few weeks later, I'm able to look back at that and watch everything that the Lord did to pull us through that and to get us established. And that what he said is, you're going to establish your covenant here first, the second you set your feet on this land. So there's a covenant that I believe the Lord's trying to reestablish in us that we're supposed to understand. And we can't always see it in the fog of war. It's important right now to understand that because even Israel's at war right now. You need to understand that when something, uh, when the Lord is speaking something to one person, it often affects the whole body. It's a season that we're in. The deer that I shot the other day, I had five people that weekend call me, friends of mine, stuff. Guess what? I got a deer this weekend. When the Lord says you're going to hit the mark and he sets forth a harvest, it's for the body. It's a corporate thing. So what the Lord speaks to me, even out in Oklahoma on the land, is for us. It's an impartation for us. Things that are going on in your life, words that the Lord has you release are an impartation for us to build a kingdom. The Lord spoke to me the words once my head was clear. After the vow renewal, a couple days later, I was just sitting there on the back porch. Everything's completely peaceful and quiet out there. It's amazing. It's like nothing I've ever experienced before. I don't know if I've really ever been anywhere else where there's just no sound. (laughs) Unless you lock yourself in a dark closet somewhere. But the Lord said, don't touch my anointed. And I heard that word very clearly. So I began to dive into that and pray and ask the Lord, what do you mean? And what does this mean for us corporately? And he showed me to go and begin to read in 1 Samuel chapter 24 where Saul was chasing David through the mountains in En Gedi. And there was a point where Saul followed David's men back into a cave, and he didn't know that uh, David and his troops were in the back of the cave. And it said he went in to relieve himself, or in other words, to pee in the cave. And David walked up behind him, had a, a weapon, and cut the very corner of Saul's robe off, and then let Saul walk away without ever knowing that he was there. And what David said, the Lord has spoken to him, was, don't touch my anointed. So I began to think about the seasons in my life that have been rough, that we've gone through, you know, a lot of hard things. In Israel, uh, there were a lot of accusations that came up in Israel against us, against the ministry, even against the ministry here in the United States. Um, And then going through the process with uh, building the house, things Amber have gone through, Amber and I have gone through in our marriage there have been different seasons of our life that were a struggle or God called us to, to overcome different things. And as I think back about all of the people in my life during those times, most of them, I'd say 90%, were for us. They would say, uh, don't break covenant. Don't break the call over your life. Don't stop heading the direction that the Lord has you before you accomplish what you're supposed to accomplish. But a small number of people came to us and discouraged us, both in Israel and other things that have gone on, and said, now's the time to stop. You need to resign. You need to leave this call behind you. Don't follow through with covenant. Don't follow through with the things that the Lord's called you to. And there will always be that voice There will be that one or two or three people that will speak out against you. And it happens even in the body. And if we don't let that break us and we just push through what the Lord has us push through in wisdom and with a pure heart, the word says that those with a pure heart shall see God. When you see God, you'll see breakthrough. You'll see the end of that tunnel that you're in. And no matter how hard it was before, you'll begin to see what your purpose is, what the purpose the Lord has over your life, your anointing is. Another thing when uh, Saul was chasing David in the hills, I found it really interesting that the word said that this happened next to a sheep pen. 
It's like, why would that be in, in the scripture? Why would they take the time out to sit there and write, oh, by the way, this happened next to so-and-so's sheep pen. And then I began to think, the Lord began to show me all of the things that he said about sheep in the word. And it said, my sheep hear my voice. David heard the voice of God when he said, don't touch my anointed. You see, God was capable of dealing with Saul. He brought Saul to the sword. It just wasn't by David's hand. Saul was anointed, and he had so many chances to step into the anointing that the Lord had placed over his life. He continued to fail in that. The Lord says that he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. You see, if you're anointed, even if you go through hard things in your life, even if you've had something in your heart that's prevented you from stepping into what the Lord has for you, from getting that revelation and that vision that allows you to step into what he has for you. There's repentance and there are opportunities and there's a certain grace in that. Because he said, don't touch my anointed. We need to remember that uh, in today's world and currently with everything that's going on, we see so many accusations come out against ministers, against leaders in the body. Some of them have been guilty of doing some things that the Lord needed to deal with them. But what we have to do is look at that and say, Lord, what are you trying to deal with in this person's life? It doesn't mean they're not anointed. The word says the gift and the call are irrevocable. That means till you die, and it was anointed before you were born. The Lord called each and every one of us a diadem in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of the Lord. That's his will for you. It doesn't matter how you walked in the past. You might have missed the mark a few times for six years, but when the day comes to hit it, you're going to hit it. Amen? So there's a grace for that. And we have to understand that there's a time to draw the sword, and there's a time to leave the sword in its scabbard. And that's what the Word of God preaches. I was reminded of um, the story where Jesus went out to pray before being arrested and taken to be crucified. And one of the men that was with him drew his sword and struck the ear off of the centurion that came to arrest Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, why did you do that? And he said, well, I was protecting you, master. And he said, this has to happen in this way. You see, there are preordained things in the earth that have to happen in this way. We won't solve every problem by picking up a sword. We will solve some of them that way when the Lord tells us to. When you ascend into heaven and the Lord says, now, draw the sword. There's a right time for it. Amber, did you want to come up and say a few words? Are you finished? Or are you just having me share? Amber, we're going to share. Oh. You're actually finished? Oh, okay. We're talking, me and Chuck were talking back there. Did you? They've confused the order of things. Sorry. Give us just a second. Let, let me show you something while they're discussing what they're discussing. That's what I love about them. Uh, pull those lights down. You know, because the celebration, you know, one of the things Daniel ta- has shown us and one of the things he's saying, you will miss the mark if you don't celebrate. If you don't find that moment to enter into the celebration of what God is doing to bring your life to the next place. Let me re-show that video of when they got to the land, they celebrated the land, they celebrated each other, and then they, they started moving toward their future. Let's look at this video.
Wow. Now I want all the bride to stand up. Look at somebody and says, that means you. That's who you are. See, you see right there how we really don't see us properly. We are the bride, but it takes a bride to celebrate for us to see who we are. Turn and put your hand on somebody and say, rekindle that first love that you have and become who you are supposed to be. Now, let's welcome Amber Pierce. <laughs> The Lord had shown Amber a few things specifically. Um, I'm leading into talking about uh, curse and how um, we can really step into a curse when we begin to curse other people. When we stand in judgment within the body even, and we see this happen a lot, where we end up standing in judgment against somebody else and speaking out against them, and uh, sometimes without knowing the whole story and what's going on. And when we do that, we really step into a curse. Now with Saul... His mistake, he had two mistakes that the Lord has pointed out to me. One is he failed to seek the Lord's kingdom first instead of his own. It says in uh, the word in Galatians that all of the different sins that are common to man, one of them are obvious. It says that they're obvious. And one of them is selfish ambition. When you begin to seek first your kingdom instead of God's kingdom, you're operating in selfish ambition. The other thing that he did was out of his selfish ambition, he stepped into a place of witchcraft. Now, I want you to see how quickly that that can happen, how quickly you can step over into witchcraft when you begin to operate out of something other than building God's kingdom first. And Amber wanted to share with you a little bit what the Lord had on her heart about that, because we're not only responsible for what we say, we're also responsible for what we hear in a lot of circumstances. Daniel and I were talking about this morning, um, and he was telling me that, and I said, well, what, I've, what I'm seeing is that, like, God, he has a grace for someone who is, um, who's, man, this is rough. Who's um, anointed. <laughs> But, but if there's, there's someone, you know, talking and frustrated and yapping and their heart is staying like that, there's a certain point where that grace begins to lift. And then when the person who um, is the person that they're frustrated with has their heart right and they're not, they're not offended and they give it to God, then it allows God to be judged so that we're not judged. Because when we're the judge, just like Daniel said, we're, it's, we're in witchcraft because God's the judge. So it's like we're taking his place. But then when we release it, then he fully can, can deal with the situation and deliver the person um, even. Amen. It's always on our heart to seek deliverance from anybody who's walking through uh, those types of things. We just talked to a close family friend here a few days ago uh, that looked at us and she said, how do you not judge people? I don't even know how to not judge people. Can you imagine that? Do you know how much judgment we walk in as a body sometimes? Do you know what a hindrance that is to our walk with the Lord and our ability to hear the Spirit of God? to ascend into heavenly places and gain the revelation that we need. When we were talking about a curse a minute ago, I wanted to read Galatians five nineteen through 21 to you. It says, The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions of injury, Factions and envy, drunkenness, and several other things. As I told you before, that those that live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the very first thing that that says is these things are common. They're all, we see them all around us. If you look at today's world, you can see that. What do we see all around us? Swirling all around us in our society, in our culture, in our generations. I walked into a bookstore, I think it was a few months back, and I've said this from the stage before, and I walked through the young adult section, 
And from the first time that I remember there being a lot of literature out concerning magic and witchcraft and young adult literature, that was roughly 15 to 20 years ago. Now about 90% of the books that are in the young adult section in your local Barnes and Nobles have to do with witchcraft, magic, uh, political agendas that the, the uh, word doesn't agree with, and other things. We have to be aware of the, of the attack of the enemy on our generations and on our children and that the curse that that brings with it. Ezekiel 44.23 is another one that the Lord pointed out to me. The Lord's dealing with some of the priests in the temple in this scripture. And he tells them they're in trouble for uh, not doing some things that the Lord had told them to do with the way that uh, they conducted themselves in the temple. And he tells them, separate the holy from the common and differentiate between the clean and the unclean. This is where you can fall into sin and fall into a curse. When you don't separate the holy from the common. If you go all the way back to Genesis, to the original curse that was leveled on the earth, that's the common curse. It's the curse of death that's common to this earth and common to this world. And on both sides, it had to do with dust. It had to do with the ground itself. He said to the man and the woman, from dust you came and to dust you shall return. And to the man, you'll work the dust all the days of your life. And through hard labor, it will produce for you. He said to the serpent, you'll crawl along on your belly all the days of your life and eat the dust. So you see, the serpent was cast down. And the picture there that the Lord showed us is that he would live in evil. He would crawl on his belly and eat the dust all the days of his life. For man, from dust to dust, it means that we have so many days. It means we have so much time to walk with the Lord, to accomplish the things that he wants us to accomplish and to fulfill the call and the anointing that he has over our life. That's a decision that we can make. Our time here on earth may be short, but we can choose what we do with every minute of it. Now the earth can represent growth. You can plant a seed and watch growth and harvest come out of the earth. Or we can return to it. That's something that the Lord uh, has always used when he's speaking to me. And I think about it a lot. But in order to break that curse, we have to ascend into heaven. To see how to battle through that and overturn that in our life. And make our life uh, productive and full of harvest. We have to be able to take that curse and reverse it in heaven. Revelations 12, 10 through 12 says, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brethren and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the sword of their testimony, word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you dwell in them. You who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. Therefore rejoice for those who love not their lives unto the death. That's how we break the curse, is to love not our life unto the death. If you want to walk with the Lord and see his face and hear his spirit, if you want to win battles... You have to love not your life unto the death. Now with this curse, there have been some people that are hard-headed over history. Pharaoh was one of them. There was a call over Moses' life to overturn captivity in Egypt and with Pharaoh. What was the first thing that the Lord had Moses show Pharaoh? He walked out and dropped a stick that became a snake. You know what the Lord was saying to Pharaoh in that moment? Here's the curse and here's what it looks like. Crawl on your belly all the days of your life and eat the dust. And how did Pharaoh act to that, react to that? He called out his sorcerers and his musicians and said, I can recreate a curse right here in front of you. Yeah, you sure can. You can create a curse. Do you want to buy into it and pay the consequences of that curse? 
Watch what you do with your mouth. Don't curse other people. The Lord can get to Pharaoh. He can get to Saul. He can get to how many others who fell, many of them by the sword. We don't have to draw our sword and take life outside of what the Lord's told us to do. He's capable of building his kingdom. He's capable of restoring things that we never imagined can be restored. You'll come to places in your life where you never imagine that things you go through can be restored. But then you watch it grow out of the ground, don't you? Yeah. Where God planted that seed, we watch it grow out of the ground. On our land out there, when they drill in the ground, the dirt is bright red. I mean, really bright red. I didn't even believe it was real the first time I saw it. I walked up and picked it up and was looking at it. So that earth that's been drenched in the blood of the Lord that creates a testimony, that's what it reminds me of every time I see that. We have a choice what we do with our time from dust to dust. What can God grow out of the ground that's soaked in His blood? We thank You, Lord. What can You grow in our lives out of the ground that You soaked and redeemed ah. with Your blood? Ah. Amber got me a uh, diamond here about a year ago for my birthday. Uh, it was a loose diamond that she bought out here in Dallas. And it's the color of dirt. It's a brown diamond. And uh, kind of champagne colored. And every time I see it, she gave it to me for the vow renewal. That was part of our renewal of covenant just the other day. Every time I see it, I think about that. The Lord reminds me what he can do with the dust, with the earth. Wow. Lord, we just thank you for those revelations. We thank you for what you can do with our life. Where you can produce in our life, Lord. A testimony that far exceeds the return to dust. There's one last scripture the Lord shared, and this was in the vow renewal. Um, Ray Garcia out there um, had a verse that he spoke over us, and it was in uh, Proverbs 21, 22. It says, A warrior filled with wisdom ascends in the high place and releases breakthrough, bringing down the strongholds of the mighty. You see, where there's a time not to draw our sword, there's a time to draw our sword. And it says, A warrior ascends in wisdom. Lord will ascend in wisdom, like on eagle's wings, Father. We just say that we'll ascend in wisdom, that we'll hear your voice when it's time to draw the sword. The Sunday right before October 7th, there was a prophetic stream in this room right here from this stage where the Lord brought up the sword, and it was repeated by four or five different people. And the word that the Lord gave me specifically that I released was, draw the sword before the battle begins. Three days later, was it three or four days later, the thing happened in Israel where the, all of Israel went to war and they're still at war now. Yeah. You see, the Lord will tell you there's a time to draw the sword. Don't cut the ear off the centurion. Some things must happen in this way. But when we ascend in wisdom, you'll hear the Lord's voice. And there's a time to draw the sword and go to battle. Lord, we just decree your wisdom. Wow. We thank you for your heavenly places and our ability to ascend into your throne room, Lord, to get the revelation that we need when we're supposed to go to battle. When you want to make changes in your kingdom and build your kingdom, Lord, let not our will be done but yours. Your kingdom come. Amen. Sometimes things sound a little different when you're in an actual conversation, and this is why we're not supposed to talk in school. Um, <laughs> don't talk when the teacher's talking. Um, so we had, our, we had a vow renewal on our land, and it was, really, it was really more than a dream come true. I mean, it was just, um, it's amazing how God can take anything and turn it around. Um, I, I would never even have begun to be able to see that that was going to come after me sharing the post on Facebook about getting divorced, all that would have never thought in a million years that God could turn that around and make all of it so beautiful. And 
just thank you, Lord. Just thank you. Um, for us, it, it really has, I mean, Daniel and I have both gotten saved individually and baptized individually, but it's like the analogy is like, it feels like having that vow renewal. It was like we got saved together and it's like anything from the past doesn't even exist. Just like when you get saved um, with the Lord, you, you don't, you're not held accountable to anything from before it. So really the anointing on it was that strong and it was just, you know, and a first time a wedding, it really, it was a wedding. I mean, I didn't realize it until I walked out and I saw Daniel. I was like, my, I just, it just took my breath away seeing him and the horizon over the land. And I thought, this is a wedding. <laughs> and it was just so, it was so special. I, I, that video I think is coming out pretty soon. So y'all will be able to watch it, but it was very redemptive, very just, there, there really aren't words because it was just, it was just so special and only God could have. We'll, we'll try to have that ready. We'll have Hanukkah Wednesday nights beginning here with the lights. Then we'll have that as part of the celebration service of Hanukkah. Hanukkah is an eight-day celebration, and we want to be sure that, uh, that we enter into this celebration. So we'll start with that hopefully by Thursday. You know, as we've, we've lived out there, for, we've been there for about a month, and I can't believe, Daniel talked about it a little bit, I can't believe how much we did so fast, and I'm, I, I'm glad we didn't, like, plan it out or think it through, because we it would have never worked, um, you know, having, hosting that many people on our land for a vow renewal, 10 or 11 days after we moved in, um, it, it's, it was crazy, but I'm so thankful that we just did it without thinking is it possible? Is it not? We just did it. And it was beautiful. It was amazing. And so we're out there and there's so much peace out there. And I told Daniel, this has a familiar feeling to me. And I finally realized it, there's a portal over us on that land. There's a, and I recognize it because, you know, there's a portal over Jerusalem, but that one has all the chaos and the contention because all the religious stuff is, is stirred from that portal. And um, I said, we, there's a portal over this land, but it doesn't have the contention. It, doesn't ha- it, it only has peace. And I wonder if that was why I actually got saved from being there 20 years ago. I, I mean, it, it was always there. And so, I mean, we're just thankful and we're just in awe, really, that God, you know, it, it amazes me how he really does know the, the end from the beginning. I went to a concert two nights ago. Um, I don't really like leaving my land. I don't like leaving the front gate of our property. (laughs) And we had gotten tickets to go see Pat Green and Travis Tritt. And um, by about six, I was like, I'm so tired. There's just no way we can go. And I took a little nap. And at 8.30, I said, hey, Daniel, can we still go? <laughs> and we did. And Travis Tritt, um, he did a time where we prayed for America and the veterans. And I'm telling you, it was the most anointed. I, I said to Daniel, this is going to be the most anointed thing that is happening in America right now. And who would think at a concert in America? But I'm telling you, because we're talking about religious spirits a little bit. Daniel already did. But I mean, you would not be able to see that. You would not be able to see that if you were operating or influenced by a religious spirit. So what I'm saying is there are moments that are so special and that are so precious. And if there's a, a religious spirit influencing you, you can't grab a hold of what God's doing. And I'm thankful I was in that moment and that we popped up and we went. I, I didn't have my cowboy hat, so my hair was dirty. So I ended up wearing a camouflage uh, baseball cap. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, religious spirits and the ruling principality. You know, when we think about Jerusalem and um, how it's just like religious spirit is just best friends with um, an antichrist spirit. And there's just so much pride that goes with a religious spirit. 
And the reason I'm sharing this is because there's just so much, there's so much that's changed in the world. And, you know, the spirit of accusation is at a place that I don't think it's ever been. And maybe that's because there's more availability for it with, you know, media and everybody having access to it. But, you know, when you see, you see there's so much more with ministers getting publicly slammed and we don't know what's true and we don't know what isn't true. But what happens to you, what happens in your mind when you first hear of something, when you, when something makes news, what, what happens? Do you instantly believe it? Or do you stop and do you pray and do you just say, God, deal with that? Or do you get consumed with it? Do you want to start finding more about it? Do you want to start researching more about it? And so, you know, because like Daniel said, we're accountable. The Bible says we're accountable for what we hear. And it's really important what we do as we are in this, we're in this totally new place in the world that no one has ever been. And so believers are being influenced by witchcraft and not realizing it. And I believe that a door was opened 20-something years ago. Some books had come out, and they swept the world. They became very, very popular. And I've never read them, but they're, you know, they make witchcraft look glamorous. And they make it look sweet. And now when you go into a bookstore, you can't find anything that is not about the occult or homosexuality or whatever. That is it. That when those series of books came out 20-something years ago, it normalized witchcraft, and it made it, made it popular. Pop, pop culture, it made it popular. You know, so now it's like, it's like, it's almost, it's cool to be a witch these days. I'm not saying it's cool, but, but it is. That's pop culture. It's, it's very common. I used to believe whenever I would hear something, I would believe there must be some truth to it if somebody said it. And, you know, after going through, and I'm going to tell you all how thankful I am, we went through that actually pretty soon. But after going through what we went through in Jerusalem, I am so thankful that we were publicly shamed. I can honestly say that. About a month ago, you know, I've been talking to a friend who has something going on, and, and it may, I said, I'm so thankful we went through that because I know what it's like, and, and I can help. Who would have ever thought in a million years I would be able to say that I am thankful that I was publicly shamed? (laughs) But I really am because this is where things are at and we have to be able to help people who are in that situation. And if you, it's, it's hard to have empathy for something that heavy if you haven't really been through it. Discernment versus judgment, you know, and this is where religious spirit has a lot to do with that. Because if we are, if we are judging something, we can't really discern what's going on. You can't, you can't see it. Things happen in parts and pieces. And when we are, are judging it, you know, the word, if you, if you look it up, like judgment means discernment. But they're not the same thing. Judgment is God's job. And so when we move into doing God's job, then we can't discern properly. We can't see properly and might completely miss what is the truth because we've moved into judgment instead of discernment. And we've got a big problem in the body because, you know, we're so worried about the LGBTQ, yet... We walk around gossiping all the time. I mean, really, all we justify as we're praying for somebody, or we're just venting, or or whatever. And I was, I'm going to make sure I just read that scripture scripture to you guys. First Corinthians nine. Do you not know that the unrighteous and the wrongdoers will not inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, misled. Neither the impure or immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers nor those who participate in homosexuality, nor cheats, swindlers, thieves, nor greedy graspers, nor drunkards, no foul mouth revealers, or slanderers, no extortioners and robbers will inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God. God put homosexuality right with gossip. So it's just as bad. So everyone out there, well, not everybody, but most, most people, unfortunately, most Christians are gossiping, yet they're so worried about this other thing, 
and don't realize that they're the same. It's the same. It's kind of like, what kind of legacy did you want to do? You want to have, you know? And when I think about, because I, t- I talk to a lot of people, and there are a lot of people that, you know, I was talking to one of my friends last night, and she said, "You don't really have friendships; you have covenants." And everybody else is an acquaintance. <laughs> and um, I thought we were talking about this issue about gossip, and she said, "You know, in her small town, that's just all they do, and she can't stand it, and doesn't understand how they have time for that." I said, my time with each person I have is too precious. So, like, I want to talk to, you know, different friends of mine, but that time is precious because everybody's busy. And so, why would we want to take that precious time and gossip when I could be encouraging them? Most of them need help normally, but I could be encouraging them. We could be, I could be telling them about the portal on my land. Why would we, we be wasting time and gossip? When, when time is precious, everybody's busy. I mean, most people are really busy. I think we don't really realize sometimes what gossip actually is. Which we, here's the scenario I kind of wrote out. So ask yourself this. When you're sharing your frustrations with somebody, are you trying to get them to take up a defense for you? Are you trying to get them in your court on that matter? That's gossip, manipulation, and witchcraft. Or have you been praying and fasting for a relationship that you care about, and when you confide in someone, is that person going to be a part of the solution? So then that is not gossip. But it's very important to know the difference because... I don't want us to not be able to get above what the devil's doing. And if we keep operating in small manipulations, which is witchcraft, then the atmosphere of witchcraft that has been produced now, we have to be able to come above it and we have to combat it. Because if you love the kingdom of God, you love God and you love people, then we, we have a calling, we have a purpose to get above the darkness, to get above the witchcraft, to get above the manipulations, to get above all of it. I grew up in South Louisiana, y'all know that, I say it a lot, um, but I grew up around a lot of witchcraft, and I hate witchcraft. It makes me, I think sometimes whenever you grow up with something and you see it a lot, you're, you're much more likely to just be disgusted by it. So like when I was little and say the other the girls would start playing light as a feather, stiff as a board, I would call my parents or my grandma to come get me because I was scared to death. It was real. They really, it, people did levitate, but I didn't want any part of it. It scared me because my mom was really involved in witchcraft. She, and you know, I, I think she'd always say she was psychic, but it came from a, a desire to have control of her life when she didn't feel like she had control. She um, felt like she wanted to know what the future would hold because she was fearful. And I, I believe that's how most people start operating in witchcraft. They want to know what is going to happen. And God tells us what we need to know in the timing. He, he reveals everything we need to know in the timing of which we can receive it. Because even like with discernment, there are certain things, if we discern before we're mature enough to handle what we're seeing, then it's not going to be good for us, right? It's not going to be good for the other person because we'll handle it differently. But if we've matured into the place that he has us, then he can show us more. But you have to handle what he's showing you the way that he, he wants you. Because he has to be able to trust you to tell you things, right? God has to be able to, t- to trust us to s- tell us things. If we don't handle something right that he gives us or shows us, then, you know, he might pull back, not from us, but he might pull, pull back on how much he's telling us. Because... He, he's going to give the, the knowledge, the information, the access to those who he can trust. 
There's always, 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 always a consequence when we open up a door to the devil. So any, any kind of witchcraft, any kind of manipulation, judgment, um, you may, you know, you know, with my mom, the consequence came quickly. I remember we were in New Orleans on Bourbon Street, and she had taken me and my sister into um, like a, a voodoo shop. She was getting re- reading or something like that there, and they, you know, they had all the jars and the chicken heads and the feet and the brains and all these crazy things. And we were scared to death. My sister was really crying. And we've been in those places before, but this time felt scarier to us. I was probably twelve, and that means my sister was four. I mean, eight. Yeah, she would have been eight. And um, my mom was so excited after this psychic reading because the psychic knew things that only, you know, that nobody, only my mom would know. And six months later, my mom was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. I have never thought that that was a coincidence at all. I believe it was an open door. I believe that she had struggled with some things, but I think she became more susceptible to taking on that illness because the door had been opened to the devil. And, you know, sometimes we don't see the consequences right away. Sometimes we don't see them till to another generation or one after that. I'm thankful. I just saw something, too. Like, in my um, bloodline, nobody had ever been divorced on either side of my family except my parents. But they got divorced when Daniel and I were, I guess, I mean, we'd have been married, like, six or seven years by the time my parents got divorced. So I just thought, well, it won't affect us because we made our covenant first before they made and destroyed theirs and uh but I realized it was like the light bulb came off yesterday I just saw oh my goodness we had to walk through that too but we broke it (laughs) but we broke it As accusations, so I, I really, you know, I hate this, but I, I think this is where we're at. The accusation, it's like the thing, it's the thing to do to accuse somebody, to publicly, the root of it's probably money most of the time, probably, but I hate that that's where we're at, and that's why we have to change what we're doing and what we're saying. We have to change because we're the people of God, right? And so we have, there's, it's not just that there's a greater expectation of us. There is that too, but there is something we need to do and we can't do it as long as we're not coming up above the atmosphere that's being, that's been set around us, the principality, the stronghold. So the way that we respond to information, even in our heart, has got to change because if, if you hear that somebody has committed something, a, a fraud, a sin, a sexual, whatever, and it's on the news, what happens in your heart when you hear that? Because what should happen in your heart is, oh, I hope that's not true. I'm going to pray. I want to pray for them. I want to pray for their restoration and their healing. Oh, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be, I got to know more. I got to know more. I got to find out. Um, I want to talk about it. It, it. That shouldn't be what's happening in your heart. And um, so I was thinking, like, how do we break this, the power of judgment? You know, and that, that's a big deliverance. I believe that's a bigger deliverance than a lot of them because it consumes, it consumes us. In every way, like your, your mind, your heart, the way you process everything, judgment, it consumes. I, you know, I, I, I didn't realize, I, but I used to be judgmental, I think. Yeah, I was. It's funny what your friends, because my friends would say, no, you weren't. But the truth is, is once I got saved, not until I got saved, I became judgmental. But I thought that's just what you were supposed to do. because <laughs> That tells you where we've been. <laughs> That's what I thought we were supposed to do. I thought I'd be made righteous if I judge things, because then it looks like I'm on the good side of things, and I'm righteous, and so I'm judging. But, I mean, really. So sometimes we'll be like, oh, that's bad, that's bad. But are you really concerned about it, or do you just want to be in the cool club, in the church? <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. Um, <laughs> um, so we want to break the power of judgment. That's a big one. That feels like a big task. I mean, nothing's too big for God, but it does feel big. <laughs> Breaking the power of judgment. Um, these are just some practical things. 
I was talking to Chuck about this yesterday, and he sent me just like some secular articles. Reflect on your own state of mind. Be curious, introspective. Ask God to show your, show your heart. I added that, the spiritual part in there. Operate in grace and tolerance. Practice empathy. Empathy is really hard because not everybody has it. The people who do have it, it's so strong that you like, like, I can't watch those, um, the documentaries on trafficking. I, 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 but I'm with y'all. <laughs> but I can't because I'm so, I'm so visual and I feel everything as if it's happening in that moment. And so I can't, like if I watched that, it would, it would destroy me for a week and I'd be obsessed and it would just take me a while to move on to something else. I can't watch those, but I think they're good because people need to be aware. I'm just naturally too aware. Um, but You know, if we're not able to, if we think we just know everything and we're, we think we have figured, I, I can actually relate it to parenthood. If we, like, when I was younger, I just thought, oh, my parents like a Southerner. I'm from the South. That's just how I do it. And that's just the way I'm going to do it. And then as I got older and started having a teenager, I realized some of these cultural things that I call cultural Southern, they could actually be borderline emotionally abusive. Some of the things we all grew up with, that would be norms to us. I, I think they're borderline abusive. And I, I realized, well, God, I need you to teach me how to be a parent. And every day, show me what they might need that I don't see, because only God can do that. I don't know what they need. I mean, I know they need food. But I mean, I don't, I might not know their emotional state. I might not know what they need unless God shows me. And so daily, that's the way I changed. I started praying and saying, God, teach me how to be a better parent. Show me what they need. Whenever I can't see, only you can see. So show me what it is that they need. But bringing that back to breaking the power of judgment, you have to be able to look at yourself and say, I don't have it all figured out. I've got a lot of changing to do. Until I get to heaven, I have a whole lot of changing to do. And I, I want to be open. I want to learn. I want to grow. And my granny grows. She was such a smart lady. She would always say, you know, I always have to be growing. always have to be learning. She was one of those professional students. She had like three masters and a PhD in theology and different. She was, and she just studied. And she's still alive. I just can't find her. She, she's got Alzheimer's. And, but um, anyway, back to breaking the power of judgment. We have to be able to look at ourselves and go, okay, something's wrong. This is not right, but it's such a part of me. I don't know how to get out of it. And once you start pressing past that, pressing past that which consumes us, I mean, it does, then God will deliver you, but you'll be making steps where you're coming into agreement with him over it. And so maybe it doesn't happen in a day. And honestly, I don't think it will. I don't think I can just go, I break the power of judgment right now in the name of Jesus and everyone's going to be free. I don't think that because I believe this is something that you have to walk out of. And I believe it takes time. And I believe that I believe we should do like a prayer focus, maybe like a 21 day prayer focus on breaking the power of judgment. um, Because this is going to be a daily practice until we get out of it and then don't go back into it. All right. Wait, stay there. Daniel, come back over. You know, Robert taught on blessing and cursing on Wednesday. And then Shabbat was about how we enter into this incredible uh, ability to see our faith begin to rise up. And then today, it's as if the Lord is telling all of us, I'm going to deliver my bride from, and I'm going to purify her heart, and you're going to see me in ways you've never seen me before. Let's all stand up. I love it. That was just awesome.
The first time I ever spoke, and Daniel and Amber don't know this, but the first time I ever spoke in church, I was 16, and I spoke on judge not lest ye be judged. And it was because of all my family had gone through and the reputation we had in an entire three-state area. But there was something about it where the Lord said, I can make your heart pure so you discern good and evil and you are willing to walk with people until they find their way through what they're going through. Now, I'm going to get Daniel and Amber to pray for us. And as we go into this time, and Hanukkah is about miracles, I'm going to ask the Lord to produce a miracle within us of a pure heart this Christmas. Father, I thank you for changing us. And Father, I, I ask that you search our hearts. If you want the Lord to search your heart, just raise your hand. Father, I ask that you search our hearts and just show us the things that we need to be aware of that you want to deal with within us. And Father, I, I ask that each one of us will be pliable and able to do the work by your grace that's necessary for us to become more like you. And Father, I just I thank you for this season where people are gathering and giving and celebrating the light. And Father, I just thank you that this, I do see, I do believe this is a time that you are doing a great work in the body, in the hearts of believers, in the minds of believers, Father, for a harvest that is to come. In Jesus' name, I thank you. Amen, Lord. We just thank you for everything that you've done here today and every word that you've brought forth. We just say, as Amber did earlier, Lord, that you would return your body and your bride to their first love. We just thank you for that, Lord. And uh, we pray that you'd take us through a season where we'll just uh, see past everything that would try to interfere with your spirit, Lord. Everything that would interfere with our walk, Lord, to be able to see uh, how you want to build your kingdom in this hour how you want to build us, how you want to enable us in this season. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, as we enter this month, we ask you for miracles. We ask you for the miracle of light on our path. We ask you for the joy of our salvation to be full. And Father, we want to thank you that you came to deliver us. And Father, we decree that we will be delivered and made whole. Now put your hand on somebody. Decree that they will be made whole. That they will rejoice. That they will celebrate and they will walk in God's goodness.